0: there, Misty.
1: Hi, Lauren. Thank you for setting up the room. I'm sorry, just a brief technical difficulty on my end that we're starting the room a little bit late. Uh, But here we are. My name is Misty Maris. This is The Legal Brief. I'm here with my executive producer, Lauren Mincer Clark. And Lauren, we have been covering Ghislaine Maxwell Throughout the entirety of this case, as it was breaking, uh, back when Epstein had first been identified as a, a person who was abusing girls, mm-hmm. we had gone back, we had done a lot of research on that case, we covered his time in MMC after he allegedly committed suicide, and now we are at the point where we're following every detail of Ghislaine Maxwell's trial in the Southern District, New York. And uh, as of now, just I want to do a a catch up. But right now, Lauren, how long has the jury been deliberating?
0: So we're on day six right now of the jury deliberations.
1: Right. So the jury is Mm -hmm. out and we are waiting for a verdict on this case. And just so everybody understands, New York federal courts and federal courts in general do not allow cameras in the courtroom. So we're waiting just like all of you to hear breaking news and to cover every aspect of what's coming out of that courtroom right now a lot of the uh, information that we're getting relates to questions that the jury is Mm -hmm. asking the judge in the court lots of of questions
0: lots of questions misty
1: lots of questions and questions that although we never really can get into the jury's mind Mm-hmm. It does give us an indication of what the jury is focused on, what they're thinking about, what they're contemplating as they make a determination about Maxwell's fate. So let me just take you back a little bit so we can understand where this all began. So Glenn Maxwell is charged with six counts in a federal trial related to what prosecutors say are her efforts to groom and traffic underage girls to ultimately be sexually abused by Jeffrey Epstein. She pled not guilty to six federal counts, and these counts, let's go through them just so we can understand what they are. They're sex trafficking of a minor, enticing a minor to travel or engage in criminal sexual activity transporting a minor with the intent to engage and engage in criminal sexual activity and three counts of conspiracy. This all comes from the prosecution's case is heavily reliant upon the testimony of four women who say that Maxwell facilitated their abuse and participated in in it as well. And that's something new that we learned throughout the trial. Mm -hmm. This happened more than a decade ago, when they were under the age of 18. Uh, So the defense, on the other hand, that's the prosecution's case. The defense, on the other hand, is really two-prong. The first part of the defense and the overarching theme of the defense case is that Maxwell is being used as a scapegoat for Epstein. Epstein is no longer alive. So there is nobody that could sit in that chair as a criminal defendant except for Maxwell. So the defense says that she's, not Epstein. That was a huge part of their closing argument. This is not Jeffrey Epstein. In fact, their closing argument included it was a mistake for her to be so to be affiliated to him with him, for her to have a friendship with him, but it was not criminal and the other part of the defense case is very strongly questioning the witnesses these four witnesses the women who are the alleged victims on cross examination in relation to their memory in relation to a large settlement a million you know million mm-hmm. dollar seven figure settlements that they received from the Epstein oh, estate right. and so a large part of the defense case is was impeaching these women on the stand and calling into question their credibility, their motivations. Again, there's a there's a monetary factor and also the fact that memory can be manipulated over time. A large part of the defense case was going back to previous FBI interviews, there had been civil depositions for some of these women and identifying that Ghislaine Maxwell was not coming up in these cases in the same capacity that they're now testifying in the criminal trial. So that's the part of the defense case and the defense narrative that uh, that that they focused on and a huge, huge, huge part of the case. Because remember, prosecutors have to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. And I'll go into detail on the statutes momentarily, but it is important to remember that she, Jelaine Maxwell, is facing criminal culpability on her own, as well as on conspiracy charges. So there the defense separating her from Epstein was a critical strategic point of the defense. And the prosecution, on the other hand, really looping them together. Lauren, I know we covered it. There were some photographs that came out that the defense mm-hmm. did not want in. Just showed this very, very close relationship with but- Maxwell. Right. Well,
0: what were you, what can, and let me ask you this, because I, and and do you think that because we know that the jury is asking for the transcripts of they in the very beginning, they asked for the transcripts of those four women and now they've actually asked for some more. So do you want to talk about all of that? Because I feel like this is a huge factor into all this.
1: Oh, absolutely. This is this is a, a large uh, uh, what we're really keeping our eye on as the jury is As the jury is deliberating here, Lauren, Mm -hmm. because we all all of our eyes perked up and we said, oh, my gosh, what are they asking for? And the jury was writing notes. And one of the first things that they asked for was the transcripts of the testimony of all of the victims. So the four women that testified. Mm. That is a positive point for the defense. And I'll tell you why. Because it means that. The jury is looking at these transcripts. They're looking at the testimony and they're scrutinizing that testimony in the way that the defense wants them to. Basically, a defendant and a defense attorneys are always happy when the jury is taking more time. And I say that because it means they have not bought the prosecution's case lock stock. They, they,
0: have the, they have questions. And so they they they, questions. they're really reading into it is what that kind of seems
1: like. Correct. So that we had questions regard. We had uh, asking for the transcripts of the four alleged victims, asking for the transcript of Epstein's uh, private pilot, and asking for the tr- uh, the transcript of Epstein's house manager. Now, there's a jury instruction that happens in, in and happened in this trial, and happens in most, if not all, trials. And it says that the jury is responsible for determining the credibility of every witness. That is their job. The jury decides whether somebody is lying or telling the truth, whether that person is credible. And in that instruction, it says that the jury can choose to believe some, all, or none of any witness's testimony. So the fact that the testimony is being reviewed leads me. And again, you can never get into the minds of a jury because it Mm -hmm. could be something totally different, but from an, an attorney point of view and standing in the shoes of a defense attorney, it leads me to believe that the jury is really going through that testimony and making determinations on the credibility of each witness. And again, it could mean part of their testimony. It could mean all of their testimony, or it could mean they're choosing to believe none of their testimony. And then on the flip side, Lauren, you have, and this all, this was, this, these were the earlier questions. There's actually been more requests for transcripts today, but Mm -hmm. you had Epstein's pilot and house manager. Well, one of the other instructions you hear is some factors you can take into consideration when making that assessment of credibility is whether or not there is corroborating evidence. So now we see That the jury has not only asked for two other witnesses, they've asked for the witness, uh, the testimony of other witnesses of accuser uh, Carolyn. She's one of the alleged victims, her former boyfriend, Sean. Now, his testimony did corroborate some of what she testified to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Maxwell's former assistant FBI agent, Amanda Young and Jason Richards. That's all the testimony they asked for. And then most importantly. In my mind, okay, to get into the mind of the jury, they requested the testimony of defense witness Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, who was a psychologist who testified about human memory. So she was an expert witness.
0: Why is this so key, do you
1: think, for you? It's key because it means that something about that defense argument, the defense Mm. argument that memories are questionable— that the memories, that there may be reasons for the testimony today that is not accurate as to their memory at the time, their memories and motivations that the defense went after during cross-examination, it tells me that the jury is really contemplating it, thinking about it, and taking the expert witness into account, and Mm. perhaps making a determination that some of the witnesses... Were not credible or part of their testimony wasn't credible. And and that's why the fact that they're reviewing this expert testimony, which, Lauren, how many trials have we covered? So many.
0: I can't even count.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can't even count. This expert testimony is so dense and so specific and so scientific. And in this particular case, the defense brings an expert on and look, it's not an easy position for a defense attorney to be in to cross examine women who are victims Mm -hmm. of sexual abuse because nobody in this trial is arguing Jeffrey Epstein's a great guy. That's not part of the case. Right. The case is that Maxwell is not Epstein. As, as so, hard as it
0: might be to separate for all of us at home, because obviously that's you just imagine the boat together. But legally, you're right. Yes, it is a separate case. And that's what the argument is here.
1: And that's what the argument mm-hmm. is here. So I'm sure the defense attorneys were quite happy to see that the. That Mm. the jury wanted to review that expert testimony because that expert testimony directly relates to their defense of this case, which is that the memories of these alleged victims is questionable. So that is that is where we are right now as we continue to wait for the jury to uh, make a determination. But there was another piece of information I thought was actually also to this point, and. Uh, it it relates to the charges specifically. So we have the sex trafficking a minor. That is the most serious charge that Maxwell faces. Mm -hmm. And again, keep in mind that there are conspiracy charges. And conspiracy, we, we can group those together. There's three conspiracy charges. The conspiracy charges mean that Maxwell is guilty of a conspiracy if she agreed with Epstein to do something illegal and then took an overt act toward that goal. So in here, it's engaging in illegal sexual activity. Okay, so that is all part of a conspiracy. That's where your Epstein Maxwell connection mm. really comes into play. And where her connection to Epstein could actually be the part of the reason for criminal liability against her as an individual. Okay, so we're talking about conspiracy. Okay, It's as simple as it sounds, the two of them agree to do something and she takes mm-hmm. an act towards that goal. Um, and and that those charges relate to all four of the victims. They're more broad and expansive. They include. The, the multiple accusers. They're over a larger time span. The conspiracy to entice and conspiracy to transport charges, that stretches from 1994 to 2004. It relates to the allegations of all four accusers. So there's, this is a much more broad charge. Um, one of the victims, Kate, testified that she was 17 when she first met Maxwell. Maxwell invited her to a townhouse in London, And told her how to give Epstein a massage. The Mm -hmm. argument is that those massages soon became sexual. And we had Kate testify to that point. Now, it's important that this one individual, Kate, was not underage at the time. So there's an instruction In the jury instructions that the jury cannot consider Kate can excuse me, the jury can consider Kate's testimony with respect to the conspiracy, but cannot convict solely based on her story because she was over the age of consent. So can you see the complications here, Lauren? It is a complicated case. So the jury was in addition to asking for the witness testimony the jury was also asking for clarification on some of the instructions and clarification on how to apply the evidence to the law so again something for the defense to be thinking about they
0: actually asked early on what the definition of enticement was which is part of those two big charges right so they're really kind of getting into the nitty gritty of this. They're obviously very, they're, they're taking this very seriously, at the very least.
1: That is the definition of, the legal definition of enticement. And the, the judge read that to the jury. The jury also asked a specific question about whether or not Certain testimony, or certain, uh, if they believed one fact but not another, whether or not that could result in a in a conviction. So, all of that leads me to believe the jury is really thinking this through. So they they asked. Uh, this was the last note sent to the jury. I want to get it exactly right. And this was Monday. They asked whether testimony from the one victim who was of age. Okay, so mm-hmm. whether her testimony can be used. For the two conspiracy counts involving transportation of minors to engage in illegal sexual acts. So that shows you the confusion, right, mm-hmm. about that testimony I- and what its purpose is. And that it can be used for the purposes of uh, proving conspiracy, but it cannot be used as the underlying illegal act. And that's a very, very nuanced legal point. So um, it's definite. It, it, it seems to me that the jury is going through this methodically. You know, they ask for post-it notes and highlighters and all uh-huh. that. Same way right. I would go through <laughs> right. analysis. And they are going through each charge and they're making an assessment of each charge. And then they're going presumably cross-referencing the testimony that relates mm-hmm. back to each charge, which which each one has distinct elements uh, and distinct time frames and distinct witnesses that apply. So let's talk about the sex trafficking of a minor because this also relates back to a specific question that the jury asked. So keep in mind, this is the most serious charge. Mm-hmm. If Maxwell's convicted, this is up to 40 years. And the definition is uh, sex trafficking applies to anyone who knowingly, in or affecting interstate commerce, recruits, entices, harbors, transports, provides, or obtains by any means a person knowing that the person has not attained the age of 18 years old and will be caused to engage in a commercial sex act. So breaking it down, it, it there's there's a lot of uh crossing state borders here and mm. basically uh it basically this this relates to the prosecution argument that Maxwell was recruiting. She was mm-hmm. recruiting young women okay. under age for the purposes of engaging in illegal sex acts with Jeffrey Epstein and possibly others affiliated with him. Um, in addition to finding her guilty of sex trafficking, she could also be found guilty of aiding and abetting, which means she's part of the planning, the execution, or the cover-up of the crime. So this charge solely relates to victim Carolyn, and, and most of the victims, with the exception of the one who's over, uh, who was not uh, underage, go by pseudonyms. Okay, mm-hmm. so Carolyn, between 2001 and 2004 she testified that when she was 14 years old she began to go to epstein's house in palm beach florida two to three times a week there she engaged in sexualized massages each time she visited she was given cash and she estimated she went there about a hundred times in all Um, she testified that sometimes maxwell or another epstein associate would call her to set up an appointment she testified that maxwell would call her her or her mom or her mother's boyfriend if they couldn't reach her she testified this woman Carolyn she testified that she was setting up a massage room when Maxwell came in and Maxwell touched her breasts hips and buttocks and commented that she had a great body for Epstein and his friends Maxwell invited her to go to an island, but she could not go because she was too young. Her mom wouldn't let her travel out of the country because she didn't have a passport. Okay, so just reviewing those are the highlights. Obviously, the testimony was had a lot more going on in it. But right. um, Part of the part of the argument is that Maxwell, being a woman, uh, a sophisticated acting woman, would normalize what would be inappropriate sexual behavior. So she would normalize to these young women, massaging mm-hmm. Jeffrey Epstein. I think we can all right. agree that a 14-year-old girl giving Jeffrey Epstein right. a massage is a completely inappropriate. Not movie. okay. Not okay. Not so okay. So the the idea is in this this idea of grooming that the prosecutors are focused on that a fourteen-year-old girl might have that impression that that's not okay. But for the fact, you have Maxwell mm. in this role as uh, almost making this behavior seem that it is normal or even good. So that's that's what the,
0: I say. Okay. that's what
1: the prosecution's argument is. Makes sense. But on cross-examination. The defense attorneys highlighted FBI notes back from an interview with the same witness in 2007, where she did not mention Maxwell. She did not mention this interaction where Maxwell touched her body Uh, and that it was only after Epstein died and that this, you know, that that there was money on the table and that Mm. now we're at trial and Epstein's no longer there, Mm -hmm. that this woman, Carolyn, sought to paint Maxwell as a key player in the abuse by Epstein. So that was a big part of the cross-examination. The reason, I I, I know that that might have been a little boring, I apologize to everybody, but I want to make sure that everyone understands that because one of the requests from the jury was the FBI notes. So right. really looking back at what was addressed on the cross-examination, and just so everybody understands procedurally, those FBI notes were not part of evidence, so the judge could not... Give the jury the FBI notes to review, but the jury could review the notes that were read into the transcript. So the notes themselves were not evidence, but they were used for the purpose of impeachment on cross examination. So information and some of the notes were explicitly read into the transcript, which is something that they are reviewing. But the fact that they want to read those notes, there is a question mark in the jury's mind with respect to credibility. So something about the defense argument is sticking with them and and the fact that they want to review the testimony of right. the four accusers coupled with and and look all the other witnesses as well as i said one of the instructions is credibility one way to gauge it is if it's corroborated and that mm. makes sense right right, common right. Sense of sense. course yes don't leave all their common sense at the door it's not all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: no, use, absolutely yeah,
1: they use their own common sense but um The fact that they're looking for these FBI notes, the jury's looking for the FBI notes, the fact that the jury is looking for this expert witness on human memory, which was a defense witness. It tells me they're really thinking about it and they're truly working through these issues. So, uh, again, that is a for the defense. The defense is likely happy about that because a couple of different outcomes here. You can either get a sweep of conviction Right. You can either Mm -hmm. have a full sweep. She can be guilty on all counts. Uh, Again, as we just discussed with respect to the uh, sex trafficking case, this case is a little is is interesting because many of these charges relate to specific time periods and specific people. So this is Mm. the type of case where you could see a conviction on, for instance, sex trafficking, but not see a conviction on enticing a minor, which relates to uh a alleged victim jane between 1994 uh, okay it relates to a completely different person and then you have the conspiracy charges which are uh again very serious but carry the least amount they, of okay time. i was just i
0: was gonna ask you about that okay right yeah the five amount of time years okay five years oh per... nothing compared
1: yeah so so it's conspiracy yeah. comes five years Per, so there's three counts. So if she was convicted on all three, technically it would be 15. A judge would have uh, some discretion to say whether they're run concurrently or whether they're run consecutively, meaning concurrently all at the same time. So a 15-year sentence is five consecutively, meaning five run, five, 10, 15. So that's a lot less time than the mm. 70 years <laughs> on a we right. conviction um and so that's why this case is so interesting because okay so one situation you have a full sweep you've got a conviction a second situation you've got a hung jury which is defendants don't mind hung juries to tell you the truth because it gives you another crack at the case right um and it means that you have raised reasonable doubt to at least one person in that jury room which is your job as a defense attorney to raise reasonable doubt prosecution has to right. prove the case Another uh, alternate outcome is that there's acquittals on some charges and convictions on other charges, because you are dealing with four different Mm -hmm. alleged accusers and you're dealing with charges that relate to different time periods and charges that relate to different levels of um, involvement by Maxwell. Uh, And then the last is that you that That, that uh, you have a, a full acquittal. I mean, I don't personally, me right now, I don't see a full acquittal. I think a hung jury is a possibility. Um, and I think maybe some sort of hybrid. But mm. I, I wouldn't see a full acquittal on this case. That's well, just my opinion, but uh, especially on those conspiracy charges. Right. I mean, that
0: makes sense to me. And, which, and that will be interesting. One thing I wanted to ask you about, which kind of goes into the hung jury a little bit almost for me, is that the judge actually stated today that they're going to continue deliberations as needed every single day, including New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, if need be. Which So they're saying they're going to work through the weekend. I know that there is, you know, COVID has obvious, especially in New York. I mean, you're living it. It is wild through the roof. But uh, is that normal um
1: Lauren you have just articulated the defense attorney's nightmare. We're coming up on a holiday. It's New Year's Eve on Friday, New Year's Day. The right. judge has now ordered the jury to continue deliberations through the holiday. So as we talked about earlier, defendants like it when juries are taking their time and mm-hmm. quite frankly, prosecutors don't want judges to rush jurors to come to a decision, because it can create an appellate issue. So Mm -hmm. there's there, yes, there's appellate law that says if a judge pushes a jury to come to resolution, that it could create an appellate issue, it could be unduly prejudicial To the defendant. So it puts even a conviction in a precarious position, which is why prosecutors don't really want it to be rushed either. Defense attorneys definitely do not want it to be rushed because if you have a holdout, You want that holdout not to say, oh, gosh, you know, it's we're coming up on a holiday. We're going to have to go through the weekend. And and I'm not saying juries take their jobs very seriously. Please don't take this the wrong way. But there's an element of human nature. Yes. Uh, We've seen a couple of cases resolve right before holidays. In fact, just the Ahmaud Arbery case that uh, I I was just covering uh, day to day, gavel to gavel. It was, you know, the Thanksgiving Eve right before Thanksgiving, that day or two before Thanksgiving that the jury came to a conclusion Uh, so the the defense actually lauren Mm -hmm. piggybacking on your argument which you just made you said something doesn't sound right about that the the defense actually said that to the judge and requested that working through the weekend and through the holiday be optional for the jurors so essentially pull the jurors and say do you want to do this or not and the judge said no now it is a unique hmm. circumstance. I will say, I am living it here in New York, and COVID is spreading like wildfire, the Omicron variant, shutting down Broadway, shutting down courts, uh, <laughs> shutting everything down. Uh, it's very, obviously, we know very highly contagious. So it's I could see that there's
0: two, I could see both sides of this. I can understand, but it's just, it's so unprecedented. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's right. just so well, crazy. No,
1: and you're right, Lauren, and it certainly would be. If there's a conviction, it is an appellate issue, and it is an issue that defendants that the defense would argue on appeal that there was undue prejudice. And and again, whether or not that's the case, we don't know without mm-hmm. seeing the full set of facts. But it certainly is an argument, and it's something the judge needs to be very very careful about. Now, this judge did specifically say, B- "By no means am I am I trying to rush you, but the the idea is in an appellate brief." regardless of whether or not those words were spoken was it still unduly prejudicial and the, that's the argument that the defense has already made in the court they're they're setting the groundwork because as right. a defense lawyer you have two jobs <laughs> you got to vigorously defend your client but you also have to preserve the record and for appeal at every at every turn so You're working on those two fronts at all times So uh, I I definitely could see it being problematic And you're right, Lauren There really is no good option Because the other part of it is We've gone through this whole trial There's been six days of deliberation If the jury were to If somebody on the jury were to get sick There are alternates If you blow through the alternates Then it's a hung jury That's Uh, what it is It's it's mm -hmm. a mistrial It's a mistrial And the case has to be tried again So which Not they a don't want to do. Often. So
0: you get it. It's really, it's really a really sticky situation. I mean, I, I think that it is interesting. And I also, but I, what are your thoughts on this? Because with that ruling, I just, I feel like it's just a natural instinct for people to hurry it up, like that we're, we'll see something quicker this way.
1: I tend to agree. So I would doubt that we will see a verdict today. The judge has asked the jury to work past. Usually it's five o'clock. I think the, the judge has asked the jury to work till at mm-hmm. least 6, 630. Yes, I saw I that. We're going to have, yeah, we're going to have a little clarity, to, I think, uh, as, as the day goes on. They just requested... Five more transcripts. That's I can true. tell you, as someone who reads this for my <laughs> life, who reads trial transcripts as for for both covering trials, for investigating uh, cold cases, and for my own life as a litigator, it, it's not a it's not a quick read, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a quick right. read. It's complicated. No. <laughs> it's dense. They're looking for specific facts. They're looking to cross reference those, right?
0: And they're going back and forth between. They're going yes. back and forth.
1: So in total, since Monday that's five transcripts today and granted these are witnesses they're shorter mm-hmm. coupled with four transcripts of the victim so and the victim the alleged victim's uh, testimony is is long and complicated and includes a lot of cross exam and then two other so you're talking about oh, if my math is right 11 transcripts it's a lot That's a lot. So my guess would be today. We're not going to see Mm -hmm. a verdict. I think there will be a telling moment about timing later tonight. If you see that the jury says we'd like to stay a little later. That ah. probably means they're getting close to a conclusion. Okay. Because think about it just I think about it the same way you think about work. Think about when you're working on a project, right? Absolutely. And like let's just get this o'clock.
0: done. We're so close. I'll stay right. a little bit later and get it done so we can just be done. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. Whereas if you're nowhere near done and you know you gotta start fresh in the morning, <laughs> you'd stop at five o'clock and you'd right. say, All right, let's go back in there in the morning and get cracking. So it's it's the same principle. So if we see the jury saying, Let's stay a little bit later tonight. I think we can probably expect a verdict tomorrow. Either way, my prediction, I think we see a verdict tomorrow. I do not think we see a verdict today. Mm -hmm. I think what they've requested is just it's it's complicated testimony. The charges are complicated. And what from an outside perspective, obviously not in the jury room with no insider information. Nobody has insider information. The (laughs) only people that know what's going on are those jurors. You know, it could be anything. It could be. Half of them don't know. It could be some of them still want to understand, haven't come to a conclusion. It could be one holdout. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're asking for so much of the testimony and asking for clarification on the legal standards really does lead me to believe that they're truly looking to methodically go through each charge and apply the evidence that relates back to that charge Uh, And and really analyze it and do their job because look, it's serious. No matter what you think of a defendant, Mm -hmm. the job of the jury is to make an assessment about whether or not the prosecution proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's serious. It's (sighs) some life. uh, And it's it's an important job. Yep, And I think not easy is doing the work. Yeah. Sounds like it. And
0: it's going to be really interesting. We're obviously going to be following this. We'll be back tomorrow. We will, you know, be watching this. You are obviously covering this 24 seven. You've been living and breathing it. So, but we will obviously be keeping everyone posted as this keeps going forward.
1: Yes. Thanks everybody for listening. And we are on verdict watch and we'll let you know the result.
0: Have a good one, everyone.